the way people in this company sort of view things and their sort of their own universes will get reflected on the product that we're building. Do we believe in a world where, you know, people are more connected or do we don't? That gets translated into the product that you're building eventually in some way. Welcome to Hypercurious, a show that is all about finding happiness by embracing changes and following our curiosity. My name is Beta Luca. I'm a BAFTA-winning serial entrepreneur, angel investor, and multi-hyphenate. Each week, I unveil the most intriguing aha moments and leaps of learnings of successful leaders, founders, authors, and artists, and how they achieve incredible things by staying hypercurious. Today, I'm excited to welcome Robel Ephraim to the show. He's a 32-year-old entrepreneur from Sweden. Over the last decade, Robel founded two companies and after a successful exit from his first company, co-founded Challenger Mode in 2014, where he's currently the CEO. Challenger Mode is making big waves on the future of sports, working on the mission of making esports truly accessible to organizers, players, and game developers. In this episode, we talk about esports as the next frontier of traditional sports and the importance of trust, kindness, and data when developing a partnership with your co-founder. Who is Robel Ephraim in one sentence and what is the one thing that triggers his curiosity the most? I would say Robel is a curious, determined, funny, kind guy, very competitive and loves playing computer games. Nice. I, I love the mixture of kind and competitive. That's a, that's a great one. <laughs> So you are the co-founder and CEO of Challenger Mode, which is a, an esports startup from Sweden on a mission to make esports accessible to everyone. And last year you raised a round of $12 million led by the innovation fund of the giant Alibaba. So let's start from the beginning. For people who are not familiar with the massive industry that esports is and the bridge between conventional sports and games, right? What is the best way that you could describe the industry and the impact that Challenger Mode can have on the future of entertainment? So esports, we consider it as the fastest growing sport in the world. We believe that it's going to be the biggest sport in the world. For it to sort of reach its full potential, it sort of needs to become much more accessible than it is right now. If you wanted to become the next Latan Ibrahimovic or the next Ronaldo, you sort of know the road of progression, right? Like you would join a team, you will, you would go to do the soccer practice and you would just make sure to, to win the games and then eventually you'll, you'll, you'll be at the top. For, uh, you know, gaming and esports, you know, that road of progression is not as clear. It's lacking a lot of the sort of basic infrastructure that you would expect to have in any other sport out there. So what we're trying to do with Challenge Mode is essentially to, to build that backbone infrastructure and offer it to you know, whoever wants to use it, right? So that could be a, a tournament organizer, could be the gamer, could be the game developer, or even brands. It doesn't really matter. We built this sort of basic infrastructure for all of those stakeholders and uh, it's accessible through challengeroom.com. Let's pick an organization as an example, right? So FIFA, the sports organization FIFA in, in Switzerland. When they want to organize 
the World Cup, you know, within their game, they would use our platform. Uh, they would create the competitions there. The players would find the competitions there. They would be able to join the competitions. They would play the competitions. And then once, you know, the tournaments or, or, or the league is done, they're able to receive their winnings, right, in the form of prize money or non-monetary prices. So it's, it's, it's sort of like a, a one-stop shop for everything that has to do with sort of esports, right? Whether you're organizing the competition as an organizer or whether you want to join a competition by yourself or with your team. For, for people who are still learning and very curious about esports, I know how massive it is and how much it is part of the future of entertainment and, and sports and etc. So why do people play esports and who, who's the audience? What is the difference between sports and esports? Can you tell us about that? That's a very, could turn into a very long debate, right? That, that subject is, you know, very, can be very heated. But me personally would, would sort of argue that the difference isn't that big. There are a lot of similarity, right? Uh, especially when you look at, you know, team sports and then sort of team-based activities within esports. You still need to, you know, work very well with your teammates. You know, you need to have the endurance, right? Both, you know, mentally, but also in some cases, even, even you know, physically, the tactics, you know, the just stamina. There are a lot of sort of similarities there. And I know, it by, you know, myself, I, I used to play soccer, you know, when I was a young young kid. And then I, you know, went on to, to play, you know, American football when I got a bit older. It's definitely a sport, right? And then you can argue, well, you know, are you are you sweating to the same extent? But that's a, that's a completely different question, if you ask me. As long as people sort of look at it as a sport and they treat it as a sport, in my eyes and, and, and ears, you know, it's it's a sport. Mm -hmm. And and we have a lot of founders and investors also listening to, to Hypercurious. And for them, if they want to get into that as a founder or as an investor, why is the time now? What is, can you give us like the, the size of the opportunity, the size of, you know, the growth of uh, where where this is heading to? Let's say we look at... Um, a game like League of Legends, right? So I think a few years ago, they had like, um, uh, I think it was around 32 million viewers. The year after, they did about 80 million viewers. The year after that, they did about you know 211 million uh, viewers on their sort of finals. If you compare that to, to something like the NBA, I think they're around 50 million viewers globally. Not sure, but this is, this is like approximate numbers. I, I, I do know that Twitch.tv is you know twice the size of the biggest sports channel in the world, ESPN. There are about 2.4 billion people gaming on a regular basis, and you know around 1.6 billion people playing sports on a regular basis. 60% uh, of all the esports viewers plays competitive games themselves. The same number for for soccer is around 10. You know you, you have you know over 300 million hardcore gamers on PC alone, and I would say around 50,000 of them that would consider themselves as a so-called pro gamers. You know, there's been a lot of sort of uh, talk about, you know, when, when esports will debut in the, in the Olympic Games. But, you know, my opinion is that, you know, that will happen soon. As a company, we, we sort of believe that it's esports is honestly becoming the biggest sport in the world. And we see it as our mission to make it as accessible as humanly possible, right? If you just look at sort of the, the general trends and sort of uh, compare those trends to the earlier trends that sort of regular traditional sports have, have gone through during their sort of development phase, it's very clear that this is 
about to grow into something you know, of massive size, right? And it's just, it's going to become so much more accessible because of companies like, like Challenger Mode. You don't need to put on your, 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 your soccer shorts and, and, and shoes and go out. That's inaccessible, right? But just, you know, to, to be home and sort of participate in this type of activity, it's just a lot of signs are sort of pointing towards electronic sports becoming bigger than, you know, anyone has sort of ever, ever foreseen. I'd say, you know, the industry is still immature, but it's definitely starting to mature. And, and that would be sort of the optimal time to sort of go in. I love that, Robel, because I think even from my perspective, not being in esports, but being, you know, making video games, I sometimes talk to investors and other founders and they have no clue about the sheer size of the industry and the many millions of people who are engaged on that on a day-to-day basis and the size of, you know, the opportunity. And I, and I yeah, I, I love that you're sharing those numbers because I think a lot of people will, uh, will eventually learn about that. And if they want to be part of something bigger, that it's creating the future of sports that's a great uh, great place to start right yeah for sure so let's talk about a little bit about yourself and and you know you your childhood as as you were kind of growing up what made you so passionate about sports and you you said that you you played soccer as you were growing up and played video games so i i grew up in a very loving family two brothers one sister so so one older one younger and then my, my sister is, is the youngest we were sort of pretty competitive amongst ourselves, right? Growing up, we, our family had one computer and it was basically, you know, whoever was the fastest person to get home got the computer, right? Until the fighting started, right? That was sort of like my, my entry point to gaming. I used to play a lot of games, you know, Counter-Strike. But one of my favorite was, was definitely FIFA, which was played on console, of course. So, yeah, I mean, I... I, I was pretty curious, loved, loved sort of getting my hands on, on the computer. As I grew older, you know, I, I, I decided to study computer science. And it was sort of like while being at school where I actually started my, my first company, which was uh, very simplified. We, we streamed lectures to schools and universities in, in the Nordics. I funded that company through mostly myself in the beginning and through sort of loans. So I sort of needed to find like the, the cheapest way for me to sort of kill time during weekends because that was usually the times that were you know most expensive for for a student you know being out drinking beer and stuff. So I, I sort of quickly learned that you know the best way to sort of kill time was to sit at home playing computer games. You know you basically bought some chips and then some some Coca Cola, and that and that was it right. So I quickly became really good at a game called uh, League of Legends. I realized I probably spent um, a few thousand hours playing that game. And at some point, I, I, I wanted to find this this quick and accessible way for me to convert those thousands of hours as, you know, which was what I saw as training into, you know, something more tangible. So the solution sort of morphed into becoming challengeable later on was sort of started, starting to take shape back then. The company that I started then uh, got acquired. And as soon as I was uh, allowed to, I, I sort of started challenge mode as soon as my golden handcuffs were off. So this was back in uh, 2014. That, that's when we started. I found a really, really nice group of people. Uh, some of them I went to school with. They went on to sort of work at Spotify and Google and you know Skype, Microsoft and other companies. And we just, we just decided to do this together. And the team you know, has been growing since then. We're 45 people right now based in Stockholm, Sweden. <laughs> 
Wow, that's amazing. I would like to take a little detour on that, on, on your first company. You started that when you were 22 years old, correct? Yeah, roughly. The whole idea was to disrupt and to create something new to, to the ed tech world, right? And it was very innovative, uh, like back in 2011. So what motivated you to start that after university or during university, as opposed to going for a job? So the longest story is that I... Um, started out with, with, with me sort of creating my first app. It was a very simple text messaging app. You could sort of uh, uh, reschedule your, your text messages, right? So you could send it now and then the text message would arrive, you know, a few days or hours or even weeks later. So sort of launched that on, on the app stores, once again, super simple app, but it sort of grew pretty fast and I sort of made, made enough money to sort of not attend school as much as I should have. And, and that was sort of like when the idea of sort of, um, you know, I was just asking myself, why why aren't my university recording their lectures? Like they should, like this is, you know, you know it's not like we're, we're living in the 1980s, right? And I asked them and, you know, they thought it was just extremely hard and, and messy, right? Like uh, they basically needed to have a camera guy there, right? And sort of record the lecture. And um, I, just, I just realized, well, this can be done much more, you know, accessible, right? So, so Intellectus, which is the, the company's name, was sort of started. And, and the basic idea there was to create an application that was installed in the lecture, lecture computer. It would sort of capture audio, video, and, and then the, the, the screen capture. And then it would package that and send that, you know, to the other side of the application, which was sort of student facing. It sort of looked like Spotify, but with an with integrated video window. And then, you know, the, the students could sort of um, view the lectures, you know, after they, they had happened, they could sort of restudy them at a time of their uh, choosing. Most of the stuff I've been involved in has sort of uh, focused around sort of my, my own needs and then just making sure those needs aren't, you know, just felt by me validating that idea before sort of doing, doing something about it. So... The gaming industry and especially sports, we know that it's still very dominated by white males as decision makers. And uh, both of us, right, we are, we are exceptions, right? And um, how do you think uh, the industry can be more inclusive? It's a, it's a question I think about a lot. I wish there were sort of, sort of, you know, simple answers there, but I wouldn't say that I, that I have them. I think role models are, are, are going to play a really, really big part. I don't think change will be reached, you know, within a day or so. I think this is a long-term sort of work that, you know, that we all have to be involved in. But I, I think the most important thing there is, is just realizing that this, this is going to take time, as, you know, all change usually do. And, and just be patient and, and not, you know, give up any, any hope. But just, just, just making sure there are sort of enough role models there to sort of inspire other peers to do the same journey or, or do a similar journey is going to have its impact. I'm not sure if that's going to be enough, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to make some change. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I, I 100% agree with you. It's the, there's something about you can only be what you can see, right? And then the more, more of us are leading companies and starting companies, the more hopefully we're going to be attracting people who are like, oh, okay, I'm like them. I can do that as well, right? 100%. Such an important thing. So let's talk about founding teams. Uh, how, how did you meet your co-founder? I met him at uh, school. So uh, yeah, we, we started computer science together. Super great guy. 
we met uh, same day we were about to register for our courses. He looked like a kind human being. You know, we, we started talking and we became friends. And how did you define how do you define a good partnership in co-founders and how did you go about splitting responsibilities? It's almost like a relationship. You'll probably spend more time with these people than, you know, with your family. There needs to be like this element of trust. You generally need to sort of want things to go well for everyone in that group. That sort of respect needs to be sort of mutual. For us, uh, we sort of made sure that we, we, we weren't too alike in terms of our capabilities, right? Like in terms of what, what value we could offer the company. But mentally, we, we, we were very similar, right? So, so one of the sort of qualities that I, that I value, besides being you know, very competent at your work, is just being a kind human being. Like it's, it's a very underrated quality and it sort of captures a lot in sort of what's, what's important for us here. That's so important. How, how do you build trust? Do you, do you think you, you guys had already trust in each other because you had been friends or it's something that trust can be broken at any point and it's something you need to nurture every day? Yeah, it's, it's definitely something you need to nurture every day. I believe it's, it's something that sort of is, is earned. Same thing with go, goes for leadership. You sort of need to set the bar yourself before you sort of expect other ones to sort of follow. So yeah, I, I think, you know, once again, like a relationship, it's uh, important you sort of keep it fresh. You know, don't take each other for, for granted. Everyone are, are sort of human beings. Did you have any any challenging moment with uh, between you and, and, and your co-founder? Anything that during the 60 years you have been building the company? So have you had any any big challenges that you had to overcome? I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a challenge to sort of build what we hope to become, a, you know, a unicorn. Right. Like it's, it's not an easy, easy feat. With that said, you know, we, we're, you know, we're trying to base all of our decisions on, on data just logic right and as long as you're able to sort of talk your point right like like make other ones you know understand you know why this is the right path and why this isn't and that just makes sense it's it's relatively frictionless then i'd say we're 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 pretty good at that any decision that we make especially if it's an important one to sort of have data and, and if we don't have it you know we'll make sure we get it by ourselves or you know through our investor network there are so many people out there that have sort of made similar journeys, right? And uh, you can try to reinvent the wheel by yourself, but it's so much easier to just, you know, ask for help or, or second opinions. No one else is going to do the job for you, right? But they'll sort of help in sort of enlightening some of the path. Mm. So what do you do personally to be at the top of your game as an entrepreneur? Do you have like a morning routine, an evening routine to keep on track and keep delivering high as a competitive and kind person? Uh, so, so I work out a lot. That's a very, you know, important aspect of my life. I've done that, you know, since, since I was very young and I like to do that, you know, when I'm very old as well. And I feel that's, you know, it's just so intense that it sort of keeps you focused on, on sort of, you know, the now, uh, which, which can be hard to do otherwise. So, so, so for me, that's a very important aspect. I'm not sure if, if there's anything else. That's, that's basically my life in a nutshell, right? Like I work a lot and then I you know, try to work out as well. <laughs> work a lot and work out a lot. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, yeah. So 
a little bit of a curiosity. I thought it was fascinating. So you speak five languages, uh, Swedish, which is your native language, English, Norwegian, Spanish, and Tigrinya. Did I pronounce it right? Tigrinya. Yes, good. It's a language, uh, it's a dominant language in, in a country called Eritrea, super small country uh, by the Horn of Africa, that's so Eastern Africa. My parents were born there and we, we came to Sweden when I was like um, a few months old. Right. And what, what made you so curious to learn all of those languages? I mean, Tigrinya and, and Swedish, I guess, they were the ones that you, you assimilated since the beginning, but you didn't stop there and went further to learn more. <laughs> I'd say it's, it's fairly standard in, in, in Sweden that, that you know more than one language. So, you know, Swedish, English, like you can't pass sort of elementary school or sort of uh, middle school if, if you're not fluent in English, at least. After that, you, you sort of need to get the opportunity to sort of learn new languages through school. And, and I've just had, you know, I like languages. It's, it's, you know, it brings people together. I learned a lot of my English, you know, through playing games, actually, right? And, you know, there's, there's probably more sort of the words I know in Russian, for example, it's, it's, it's probably not something I can, I can talk about here because it's, it's usually curse words coming from some of the games. But, like, gaming in general, by bringing sort of people from different territories you know together on one server you sort of get interested in into being able to communicate with those people mm, yeah that's fascinating right and and same i guess same with spanish right there are so many millions of people speaking spanish in the world and it allows you to navigate m many cultures right i wish i could speak uh, chinese though that's another project yeah that's maybe the next one right <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. It's uh, yeah, the the world is well now. Now with uh, with your investor being Alibaba, right? Maybe there's an opportunity to uh, <laughs> to go into that. I will see. It's 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 never too late. Yes. So with this curiosity about the world and culture, so if you if you could choose any 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 place in the world to live instead of Sweden, where where would you live? It would definitely be the the United States of America. We do a lot of business there. I've you know traveled there regularly, and it's just something about the people and the culture that's just you know it's very open. It's very similar to to Sweden in some ways, and uh, and also very different in, in in other ways. But the culture is just you know it's been a, such a big part of my life, and I think a lot of you know Swedes sort of every day that it's it's just a very it's a very small step to sort of step over to that side of the pond. And I guess that's, uh, you know, one of the, the re well, the region where you want to expand challenger molding to as well, right? As part of the next phase of growth. Yeah, for sure. That would make sense for you, right? So I read something online. Uh, I think it was the top line on Instagram, which is blocked. So it's like, I, I didn't go in. I just saw the, the, the top line, which says, fun isn't something one considers when balancing the universe. What do you mean by that, Rubel? <laughs> yeah, that's a super good question. So uh, that line is, is actually from um, one of my favorite movies, The Avengers. So it's uh, Thanos who, who sort of uh, says that. I just love the guy. And, you know, I love controversial. I love, his... I love that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are sort of few villains that that are, are sort of done in that way. And you know, of course, I don't. You know, I'm not a big fan of what he's doing in the movies. But I think the meaning of that phrase sort of uh, tells a story 
that not everything needs to be fun, but then there are some things that sort of brings brings your smile, right? And, and you should cherish that and remember those moments. Yeah, and Thanos. I know I'm a fan of of the Avengers as well. So, and I know the debate on the internet if Thanos was right or wrong. And so, so, so let me let me be super clear. He's he's wrong, right? Like I I do okay. not believe that you know you should eliminate eliminate half of all life on the universe, but he's definitely the determined, right? Like you got to give him that. Yeah, and 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 very innovative on the way that he goes about it, right? Yeah. Creating yeah, the yeah, balance. Oh my God, that's amazing. So what, Robert, what are you mostly curious about at the moment? I, I guess, I guess that would be um, people, the way people think, like this human psychology, you know, why we are the way we are and, you know, why we do the decisions that we do. I find that very interesting, sort of ties into free will in, in you know, in some senses. Mm. Super interesting. I, have you been reading books or kind of, you know, uh, listening to any podcasts on, on the subject? I've done it all. Yeah? I've done it all. <laughs> so which one do you recommend? I'm, I'm fascinated about, yeah, why we do the things we do and human behavior and, and neuroplasticity. I'd recommend that you sort of listen to or, or read, but, but um, I know he has a podcast of his own, uh, Sam Harris. Like very influential, very smart guy. And I like the way he, he sort of talks about these stuff yeah and and it's a mixture of psychology with with the philosophy as well right yeah yeah, for sure because you know i guess you could argue that it's all subjective right but those questions they are like the philosophical questions are what makes us human the dilemmas the to be or not to be you know or i'm being very cliche right now but you know all of the philosophical questions are so current in the present that we're living at the moment, but also the way that we're building technology that is impacting so many millions of people. Exactly, which was sort of my, my, my next point. Like the way people in this company sort of view things and their sort of their own universes will get reflected on the product that we're building. Do we believe in a world where you know people are more connected or do we don't? That gets translated into the product that you're building eventually in some way. Mm. No, I think that's a very, very wise to say. I 100% agree with you. Robel, has been has been amazing to talk to you today. Uh, do you have any last words or messages you want to share with the awesome audience who's listening to us right now? If you're playing games, if you think you're good enough, go into challengemo.com and sign up for your first tournament and uh, good luck. Thank you, Robel. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today and I learned a lot. Peter, it was, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening so far. Make sure that you listen to other episodes. You can go to hypercurious.fm and if you want to stay in touch, I'm around. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. You just search for my name and you're going to find me. If you love this conversation and more, make sure that you also do a five star and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts if that's your preferred podcast app. It will mean the world to me. For now, ciao, ciao.